bring uh, to this lecture and to teach us today. Uh, I was involved early on with uh, the search for an Hispanic pastor to minister to the Hispanic community here in Memphis. And, you know, it's a di it was a difficult task for the group to find someone who had uh, the leadership, the biblical faithfulness, a real heart of, uh, of, of a servant, as well as an ability to really be compassionate and understand from the inside the story of many of the folks in our Hispanic community who are struggling to be a part of our city and uh, to thrive here. And Ricardo combines all of that. Um, it's been a privilege for me because uh, he and I are becoming good friends, and he's a wonderful guy with a great sense of humor and, uh, and a great leader. Ricardo, would you please come up and share? Thank you. Let us pray first in silence. Let us pray. Amen. I am going to be speaking to you this morning on the theme of personal evangelism. But more than personal evangelism, I will be speaking about the ministry of how to share Jesus with your friends, colleagues, siblings, or other members of your family. I strongly believe that members from local churches do not longer practice this spiritual exercise in sharing Jesus with others. It does not matter how involved and active members are in their local churches, I believe there is a great need to recover the ministry of sharing Jesus Christ with others. I strongly believe on that. Seems like that we have given up to the ministry of evangelism anymore. Many could be the reasons why we don't do that any longer, intentionally. For some members, they just simply do not know how to do it. That's the bottom line. Some members in our churches, they do not know how to speak to Jesus to others. Well, let me tell you this. You have to learn how to do it if you are a follower of Christ. Ask your pastor to teach you. Ask your pastor in your church to teach you how to do it. And do not be surprised if your pastor does not know how to do it. Don't be surprised. 
Pray to God to send you someone to teach you how to share with your friends the love of Christ. For other members, they may think that sharing Jesus with others is not their responsibilities. It is the responsibility of the pastor from the church. John Calvin strongly believed in the priesthood of every single believer. In the place that God has put you to be every day, you are a priest, and as a priest, you have responsibilities of a priesthood. Share Jesus with others. Do not remain unknown about your faith in Jesus Christ. We need to do that. Others are not willing to pay the price sharing Jesus with others. Because there is a price to be paid when you share Jesus and when you speak to Jesus with others, about Jesus to others. Of course, you will not be thrown into the circus, be eaten by lions, as the first disciples of Jesus were eaten by lions, because they share Jesus. Nevertheless, a price must be paid when you need to be ready for that. And you need to be ready for that. Do not be afraid. Share Jesus with your friends. They need it. The world needs to hear about Jesus. Other Christians, to some extent, are very shy to share Jesus because they are afraid what people will think about them when they share Jesus with them. Let me tell you something. Who cares what other people think about you when you share Jesus with them? That's not your problem. That's their problem. To be honest with you, nobody here in this room will really care what they think about you. On the contrary, as brother in Christ, we will support you. We will pray for you. We will pray for your ministry and love you and admire you even more because what are you doing for the sake of Jesus' name? Know that you are not by yourself. There is a responsibility. There is a, a, of course, when you share Jesus with your friend, there is a possibility to get rejected when you share Jesus with others. There is the danger to get in trouble when you are doing good things for God. But you have to, pre but you have to be prepared that there are positive reactions. You have to be prepared that there are negative reactions when you share Jesus Christ with others. But let me tell you something. You are not alone. God is with you. Don't be afraid. Let me share this with you. Three weeks ago, I began my first Spanish Bible study every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., I met with, Latinos bro with Latino brothers and sisters to study the Bible at the Berkeley Baptist Church. To begin a church ministry with no members at all, from zero, let me tell you something. It is a very intimidated experience. It is a very intimidated experience where you have advertised a Bible study in your local church and no one comes. But let me tell you something. I am not by myself. 
God is with me. Even when no one comes to study the Bible, God is with me. He has promised to be with me. God has promised to be with me. And let me tell you, that is a huge plus for me. Secondly, many of you are praying for me. And that's a confirmation that God is with me. You, many of you in this church, many members in other churches are praying for me, for my family, and for my ministry. In this new beginning of this ministry, I am not alone. I do not feel alone. I am not by myself. God is with me. You are with me. And if God is with us, who against us? But we need to do it. This is my intention this morning. To inspire you in the power of Jesus. To share Jesus in your places. And to inspire you in the power of Jesus to walk with me this morning. How can we become more effective in our ministry when we share Jesus with others? Don't be intimidated. Please open your Bibles in the prophet, in the book of the prophet Haggai. In the Old Testament, I went for you. I know, it happens to me. I don't know where the book Haggai is. I'll wait for you. <laughs> it's almost at the end of the Old Testament. The book of Haggai, chapter number one. This is the book of the prophet Haggai, in which he's speaking to God's people about rebuilding the temple of God. I'm going to read the whole chapter, the, verse, the 15 verses. In the book of Haggai. On August 29 of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Serubabel, son of Chiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in packets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. 
Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hope for riches harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies and ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces not crops. I have called for a drought, for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and all these trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your lives and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked too hard to get. Then Serubabel, son of Shaltiel, and Yeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God has sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people his message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Serubabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius' reign. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the word of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the story of a wise man that arrived into a small village and decided to camp under a tree to rest for the night, waiting for the dawn of the next day. Suddenly, arrived a citizen from that village saying to the wise man, the stone, the stone, give me the stone. What stone? The wise man replied. The man from the village replied, the other night I had a dream in which Mr. Shiva appeared to me and told me that today before sunset I was going to find a wise man that will give me a stone so I will become the richest man in the village. The wise man searched in his bag and showed the stone to the man and said, 
Is this the stone you are looking for? I found on my way coming down to this village and gave it to him saying, you can keep it. Amazed and perplexed, the citizen of that village looked at it and said, it is a diamond. It's a beautiful diamond. Went back home, excited, very happy, that couldn't sleep the whole night. Early in the morning of the next day, he went back to the wise man and said to him, I want to give you this beautiful diamond. But rather, give me the piece that allows you to give me the diamond with no hesitation at all. I am sharing this story with you, my brothers, because one of the weaknesses of our time is our inability to distinguish our needs from our greed. In fact, this is the world in which we live today. I believe that our inability to distinguish our needs from our greed has become the number one excuse as Christians that has distracted our Christians' lives to establish a deep and profound relationship with Jesus Christ. We have not only become distracted to pursue a deep and profound relationship with God, but at the same time, as Christians, we have lost the sense and the ability to discern how much is sufficient. As Christians, we live within a system that has lost the ability to discern how much is sufficient. The more we have, the more we have, the more we want. This is the world we live. We are never satisfied. Have you ever asked before how much is sufficient? How much is plenty? Maybe sometimes we cannot sleep so nice because we don't know the answer to that question. If you look into the passage that we just read this morning, we can see how easy it is for God's people to be sensitive and distracted from fulfilling their responsibilities before God. In the reading of the scripture this morning, we witness the fragility of God's people. How in the world they completely forgot to rebuild God's temple. Kind of hard to believe. Besides that they were extremely building their luxurious and fancy and fancy houses, it demonstrates how fragile we are as Christians. 
pressures, demands, expectations, and tasks push in from all sides and assault our schedules. Do this. Be there. Oh, how many, many, how many meetings I have as a Presbyterian minister? Calling everyone. Everyone seems to want something from us. Family members, friends, colleagues, school, clubs, churches, etc. We soon have little to offer as we run out of, of energy and time. We find ourselves rushing through life, attending to, to the necessary, the immediate, and the urgent. The important is all too often left in the dust. Our problem, brothers, is not the volume of demands or lack of scheduling, but values. What is truly important for us as followers of Christ? What is it? What is the heart of the matter when, when we are disciples of Jesus? Do you remember the story of the two sisters, Martha and Mary, and Luke 10, 38, 41? The scripture says, but Martha was distracted. Jesus was with her. God was with her, but she was distracted. Because she was preparing a big dinner to Jesus. And she came to Jesus and said, don't you care? Don't you care? My sister just sits here while I do all the work. Don't you care? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Martha. Jesus said, my dear Martha. You are worried and concerned over all these details. Jesus said, one thing only is essential. And you know what? Mary got it. And it will not be taken away from her. Only one thing is essential. And Mary got it, and it will not be taken away from her. The busiest we keep ourselves doing God's work, the more distracted we get developing a deep and profound relationship with the one that sent us to do his job. The busiest we get doing God's work, the more we need to pray. The great reformer Martin Luther once said, I have a lot of work to do for the kingdom of God that I pray three hours every day. Martin Luther wake up four o'clock in the morning and pray until seven because he had a lot of work to do for God's kingdom. For God, our relationship with him is more important than what we do for him. For God, 
our relationship with Him is more important than what we do for Him. If you have something against your neighbor, let the offering in the church go and reconcile. Then come back. It is easy for us Christians to get distracted in doing God's work. Your first priority in our Christian life is not for you to avoid people to go to hell. Your first priority in your Christian life is to nurture your life from the everlasting power of Jesus. So you can bring others to Jesus. If you don't have that life within you, how can you show it to others? You need that. We need that. Martha got very frustrated and distracted. Preparing a big dinner for Jesus. Martin Luther was very wise enough not to be caught in the midst of his hectic and busy life. Because he prayed three hours every day before doing God's work. My brothers. Building. For God's people building their houses were not the heart of the matter. In this passage. God has nothing against that. Nothing. But the fact that they became neglected. Rebuilding the house of the Lord. What were the excuses that prevent God's people to rebuild God's house? Let us look on verse 9. To answer that question. What were the excuses that prevent God's people to rebuild the house? Look what the prophets say. You have planted much, but harvest little. And he goes again. You eat, but are not satisfied. And here he goes again. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though they were putting them in packets filled with holes. And in verse 9, you hop. For rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says to the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses. The prophet answered this question to God's people and said to them, The reason you have not built God's house is because of you. And period. In verse 10, it says, it's because of you. In verse 10. The one to be blamed. Why the house of the Lord was not built. The prophet say it's because of you. In other words, the prophet is challenged them when he said to them, Who do you think that you are? That's what is literally the prophet is asking to God's people. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are 
that you place yourself in a position to say, it is not the time to build God's house. Who do you think you are? Are you God? This has been indeed the great tragedy we human beings experience when we are confronted by God's holy presence. God's own people in the book of the prophet Haggai were avoiding to experience the holy presence of God because they were extremely busy that they don't have time for God and they did not have time to rebuild the house of the Lord. They arrived to their own conclusion, this is not the time yet to build God's house. We, my brothers, need to pay attention in the kind of world we live today. Because we live in a secular society that preaches to us every day, in order for you to be somebody, you need to be in church. This is the message we get every day. You need to be somebody. But in order for you to be somebody, you need to be in church. See, God's people thought they were in church. We need to pay attention to that. We clearly see this pattern that our society has created that in, our, that in order for you and for me to be something, you be to me in church. Why Martha get very frustrated? Because she was in church. And God was with Martha. It is God who is in charge. We do not need our brothers to be in charge in order for us to be somebody. We are already somebody in God's eyes. That's what it counts. God's people in the time of the prophet Haggai, they thought they were really in charge. I had a friend in college that by accident, I met him in one of my many trips to Southern California many years ago. And I don't know where I was. I don't remember now. And I met him. And we started talking about We finished college. He went to do a secular career. And I went to the seminary. And he told me something very funny. I found very funny. And he told me, hey, Green, are you still in that thing, the church? Are you still in that? Are you still pursuing that thing, the church? And I say to him, oh, yes, I'm still doing this thing. I'm still doing this thing, the church. We followers of Christ. We do not need to prove to the world we are in charge to be somebody. Who cares? I am saying this because when you take seriously the ministry of sharing Jesus with others, you are not in charge. God is in charge. God is in charge, not you. If I assume all my responsibilities that I am in charge, beginning this church ministry with the Latinos, I will be overwhelmed and I will be dead. When I say to you to be in charge in your life, I am also saying to you, get busy as well. 
sharing Jesus. When Martha was busy preparing a meal for Jesus, I don't want to hear from you that Mary was doing nothing. Give me a break. Mary was busy as well. But in the case of Mary, Jesus was in charge. Martha was very busy, but she was in charge. Two completely different things when you are in charge and when God is in charge. And we let God to be in charge. How can we become effective as community Christian building king, the kingdom of God in our midst, in our daily life when we share Jesus? Let me tell you something. Let God be in charge. Don't hit people with your Bibles in their heads if they don't accept Jesus. Share Jesus. Give every single space in your life to God for God to be in charge of your life. Move yourself from yourself and place God in yourself in order for God to be in charge. That's the way this thing works. You know what I mean? When God is in charge, in this ministry, in your ministry of sharing Jesus with others, you will indeed contemplate God's holy presence in your life. And this is not just about you contemplating God's presence in your life. It is as well about bringing people to experience God's presence. You cannot give what you don't have. If you don't have God's presence in you, how can you share God if you don't have it? This is not only about you. This is about the creation that God created. Being busy or too busy and in charge increases the risk and the responsibility to become disconnected with God. Because you are very busy. You don't have time to pray. Because you are extremely busy. And to be disconnected with God, the result of it increases as well the possibility to be disconnected with my neighbor. If you don't care God, you won't care about your neighbor. It's simply like that. My intimate relationship. My intimate relationship with the divine, my intimate relationship with Jesus will be reflected in my relationship with my neighbor. And John was very simple about that. How can you say that you love God that you don't see and you say that and you don't love your neighbor that you see? It's incoherent. It doesn't make sense. God's greatest desire for you and me is to get people connected with him. God's greatest 
desire for you and me is to get people connected with him. We need to create activities in our lives that will promote God's daily presence in our, in our midst. God's greatest desire is to fill us with his glory. God's greatest desire is to fill us with his power. God's people in the book of Haggai, after they came back from captivity in Babylon, they didn't want to mess with God. They didn't want to God at all. See, this is one not just about the building. This was a reaction of his humanity. They didn't want to deal with God. They didn't want God to deal with them. As simple as that. If you read Isaiah chapter 6. If you read the book Isaiah in chapter 6. You will see and you will be perplexed. The encounter the prophet had when he really sees who God is. It was in the year of King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. That I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple, attending him were mighty seraphims, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Read the whole chapter. How beautiful encounter Isaiah has with God. We need that. If you don't have that, you cannot give what you don't have. As simple as that. In order for you to have people experience God in their life, you have to experience God first in your life. This is no, I know about God. This is not about theology. This is no, I know God. This is a style of life in which you have to live and experience God in such a way that your story becomes God's story and God's story becomes yours. Because you are very connected to God. Let me put it in another way. You cannot share what you do not know. How can you share what you do not know? It's impossible. If we are going to share Jesus with others, it implies that we have had experience, a profound experience and vibrant encounter with Christ that lead us to speak to others about the love of Christ. If you have not this vibrant encounter experience with God, let me tell you, you need it. This is not for my Pentecostal brothers. This is for every person who have decided to follow Jesus Christ. Paul, 
as well as the first disciples of Jesus, they experienced a vibrant encounter with Jesus that their lives was impacted by such encounter that they did not stop speaking, sharing, preaching, and teaching about Jesus. They couldn't stop. If possible to get crazy to share Jesus, get crazy. If you never made this commitment with God in your life, let me tell you something, my dear brother. You cannot share what you do not know. When Jesus' disciples were charged not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus by the religious leaders, they replied to them saying, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Another principle about sharing your life and your God with other people. You cannot give what you do not have. As I mentioned it before. A famous lady asked a prominent painter, I'll give you a lot of money if you draw me one of my pictures, but do me justice, she said. The prominent painter looks at her and says, Lady, you don't need justice, you need mercy. My brothers, what people need in the world, what people need in the world is mercy. People in the world need to know God loves them. They need to know. People in the world need to know that they are loved and that they are important to God. People in the world need to know that they are important to you, that they are important to us. People in the world need to know that our churches care for them. People in the world need to know John 3.16. They don't know it. They need to know. And what it means that. People in the world longing for love. I don't know if you are a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But I am a pastor. People need love in the world. They are desperate. Because we're living in a tough time. Yeah, people need love. And you need to remember people that they really care by God. Do you remember when Jacob was heading to Egypt with his son? He asked to be given a little bit of honey before he departed to Egypt. Our brothers, we need to put a little bit of honey when we share Jesus with others. You need to make it sweet. To believe in Christ is to love our neighbors. That's the rule. In one of his letters, the, the John, 
the, the, the evangelist John says that we have passed from death to life when we love others. When we love others. To believe in Christ is to love our neighbors. To believe in Jesus is, is to share Jesus. I believe that we have called by God to witness and to testify and to bring others whom God has prepared for us. If you have a piece of paper with you, I want you to do something for Jesus, not for me. Write, write the names. I think there are pieces of papers in your tables, at your tables. Write the name of three persons you want to share Jesus with. Do that. Make an experiment. Experience God in your life. Write the names of three persons that you would like to share Jesus with them. Start praying for them. Show to them the love of Christ. That's the way you do it, and you have to do it intentionally. What happened when Haggai started preaching to God's people? What happened? The people of God began to work in the house of the Lord. Is there? I think it is in verse, I think it's in verse 14. They begin to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies. All we need is to speak. All we need is to share. All we need is to celebrate with those who are not Christians. The love of God. And God is in church. Don't forget that. God is in church. God is in church. You need to preach Jesus. Don't preach the church. Mm, that's not good. Don't preach the church. Don't preach the denomination. Bring people to Jesus. Bring people to Jesus. Invite them to the church. But don't preach the church. Preach Jesus. I believe in my heart that this church or your local church, if you are not a member of this church, has the potentiality to double the membership if every single member in his heart, share Jesus with others. I believe so. I believe this church or your local church has the potentiality to double the membership in their local church if people, if members make the decision to share Jesus with others. Invite them to God's house. Bring them. Love them. Extend them an invitation to come and be with us. I believe. We have that potentiality. And maybe second, we'll not have three or four thousand members, maybe eight thousand members. I believe so. And your local church as well. Chair, my brothers, chair the gospel of Jesus. 
if it is necessary, use words. God bless you.